The following audio presentation includes frequent use of the term spunk. Unless otherwise stated, this is the official acronym of the Sony Pictures Universe of Marvel Characters, and all mishearings and subsequent events taken by this term are to be directed to Sony Pictures Entertainment. Is anybody listening after that? <laughs> the players and Madam Web are covering us in spunk, and we're taking someone's daughter and someone's son to the promised land. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Adam Ball, and this is Off Screen, your seven-day guide to everything movies. Boom! Groovy. Hello and welcome back to Off Screen. So, as always, we've got some fresh movies to look at this week with Van. Uh, so, we are going to start with Someone's Daughter. Now, I don't know a lot about this, Van, apart from it looks like it's quite a deep kind of movie. Oh, and then some. So it's someone's daughter, someone's son. And it's a documentary from Lorna Tucker, who does, you know, writer, director, Lorna Tucker, who also appears on camera here as well. This is an examination of the lives of uh, people in, in, in homeless Britain the homeless denizens of contemporary Britain, how they've come to be in that situation, how they just live their lives, what solutions that we can find to the rising number of homeless people in the UK at this time, and uh, forces uh, Lorna Tucker at one point to um, to revisit her own history, having been homeless in her teens. I've got a clip for you. Have, have a listen to the tone of this. I want everyone to believe that we can end homelessness in 10 years. And in order to do that, we need to question our assumptions, be aware that we can do a lot more in terms of making, taking advantage from technological developments to improve the data we have. We then also need to move from trying to fix people to just listening to what they want and their hopes and facilitating them achieving those goals. We also need to support people doing hard work day in day out on the front line to do their jobs even better. So she used to be homeless, Lorna Tucker, and she's not anymore. So does this go into how she came out of homelessness as well? It does It does get brought up. Like, it's a very brief interview. I will explain. So one of the interviewees through the course of the movie is, I think it's, is it Sir John Bird, who, uh, who was the, you know, the founder of The Big Issue? Who himself had grown up as a, had been a rough sleeper at some point, you know, while growing up, and had then found, you know, came up with the idea and founded, um, founded the big issue. We uh, we get through him. He actually brings up whilst in an interview, he says, "Oh, look what we've got. This is this is from when we first started running the missing people's uh, pages in the big issue." He says, "Look who I found." He shows the director, like you know, her own listing, like from back in the back twenty five years ago. Like, have you seen you know our daughter, sister, etc. Um, in there, and it's. And it's and it's her, and she says that oh, this was a, this was a huge turning point for me. It's a really moving documentary. It's obviously harrowing, and we the the, the exploration of the lives of the people that you meet along the way. Who, as I, you know, tell us at one point, we're all two paycheck, we're all potentially two paychecks away from this at any given point in this day and age. The idea that you can literally have two bad months and and your life can be absolutely destroyed, and it's uh, it's a really compelling. I've, of course, quite you know, urgent documentary as well. It's really something worth looking into. Um, there was a lot of exploration for me as the, of, the, of the big issue as well. How they they induct someone into into selling the big issue, like how they explain to them, give them the roots, and set them up. That was something I'd, I'd actually not seen, believe it or not, in a documentary before. Um, even like a Channel Four 
Channel 5 type one where it seems the kind of thing gets brought up. But I'd never seen that either. But it is the people you meet along the way. We meet this one gentleman who would, uh, you know, spent 18 years uh, homeless and was now actually an activist and a, and a campaign worker for homeless charities in his life now. And, uh, he, he, you know, he takes us through his story and his life. It's, it's really something. I think this would, I'll be honest with you, probably get a tear or two out of you, Adam, I think. I was going to say, I think this would probably be something I'd really be intrigued to watch because I've always said that, that, you know, you're two paychecks away from being in the same position as some of these poor homeless people. And, you know, we could be in that position quite easily. Very true, as the documentary very uh, quickly establishes. And uh, I will say as well, um, as, as great as the documentary is, there is a little bit, there's a bit at the end where I, uh, I kind of like, I had to groan a little. And uh, it's, it's a great land for them. It's a great land for Lorna Tucker. But it kind of just feels a bit saccharine to have a theme song by Brian Adams. And, uh, uh, yeah, your look. Yeah, your, your very confused look right there. Yeah, and it's, it's obvious that, you know, he's done this as you know, an activist thing. He's, like, you know, he's contributed to this song form, which is called Somebody's Daughter, Somebody's Son. And he's every bit as cringe as it sounds. I know this is neither here nor there. I'm just saying it. I was, I was really going with the documentary and then the, the song at the end felt a bit We Are The World. You know what I mean? Oh, goodness. That's a little bit cheesy, I yeah. suppose, in that respect does this follow many people's journey with homelessness or is it just hers that you're following no no we don't really the, the director's own own story is only brought up very briefly to be honest it is, it is the wider you say it's the wider examination of the arguments it's like what is life like sleeping rough in 21st century britain how does that go what are the risks what are you subjecting yourself to and then also looking at what the solutions are to i think it's john bird says at one point um that the you could solve uh, homelessness in britain but the, the problem is you don't have to, it's not really about solving homelessness. It is about all the BS that goes with it, meaning the politics that go alongside it and uh, where funding gets pulled and how organisations that decades previous would always ensure that you had somewhere to sleep that night simply aren't there anymore, that they've not survived through you know recent economic times, that they are just part of... There's something that's just been done away with during austerity. And I say, it's, it's the kind of thing where if you're, if, if, you're a, a fairly, if you're a filthy liberal like myself anyway, and you tend to have your face buried in a James O'Brien podcast all day every day anyway, then it's, it's the kind of... It's, it's the kind of thing that's not something that isn't on your mind anyway. But it is quite a stirring look at these issues. So is it going to make people empathise watching this, or is it going to make people oh God, angry? Yeah. Oh, empathise and angry. Absolutely. Equal measure. You will empathise with everyone you meet in this. You will also be very angry. There's a, a sequence I really enjoyed, actually, in which, and it, it, I think it shows a, a, a difference in generation between like John Bird, the, 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 uh, the Big Issue founder, where he meets... Uh, several young pe- uh, young people in in a, a sort of c- counselling and training program for I think it is for working for the big issue, and uh, they have completely wildly different political views on the same issue of of, of you know what to do with the homeless of, of how to you know, how to end homelessness and the, the and it's fun watching John Bird in a strange sense have to reel back and walk back his words really quickly to try and agree with them in a strange way like they bring up mental health a lot for instance because they are much younger and he kind of has to reel back like, yes yes I meant that too you know it's a, a very fascinating documentary on several levels 
Well, Someone's Daughter, Someone's Son uh, is out in cinemas from today, if you want to go and see it yourself. Uh, right, still to come, we're going to look at Madam Webb shortly, The Promised Land, but next we're going to see what Van thought of players. So stay right where you are. Hello and welcome back to Off Screen then. Let's move straight on to our next movie. Uh, so this one is called Players. Um, it's out in cinemas from today. Now, I, I kind of, I've read the synopsis and I kind of find it quite hard to understand what on earth it's about from the synopsis that I've read, really. Okay, weird thing. First of all, I, I messed up on the script there. This is actually on Netflix and it's from two days ago. So I should have, I should have updated that. But, uh, <laughs> okay. but yeah. So this is new, a new comedy directed by uh, Trish C. Uh, it's got a screenplay by uh, Whit Anderson, who was a writer on uh, Ocean's Eight a few years ago. The uh, the Anne, Anne Hathaway sequel. Anne Hathaway. Who else was in Ocean's Eight? It'll, it'll come to me. Um, the, Sandra Bullock. That was it. Uh, so writer on that, uh, and it stars uh, Gina Rodriguez from TV's Jane the Virgin, which I have never watched. I only know Gina Rodriguez as like a small bit player in a couple of movies like Deepwater Horizon. Okay, and she is the ultimate player. She and her friends run plays. You see, she is Mac, a 33-year-old sports journalist, writing for like an actual newspaper. This was so clearly concocted by someone so much older than the characters in this movie. Um, so <laughs> Mac is just the sexiest, coolest, most badass female sports reporter so she's you've ever met so of course because she's a female sports reporter she has like a cadre of bros um one of whom is played by rachel feiss's now adult son from about a boy whose name i can never remember uh, another is uh, damon waynes jr is a, a third as well and say they run plays together meaning like nfl sports plays you know like a, a offensive strategy in a football game. Uh, uh, okay, that's where it went wrong for me in the right. synopsis. I don't even know what that means. Okay. So, But they use it entirely for the purposes of getting laid. Which means that if you gender flip this movie, it becomes something like, I hope they serve beer in hell. Which is just an incredible <laughs> thought to have in 2024 anyway um so what basically she does is she will like be a prop girlfriend and like stage a fight in a bar for instance with her, her mate and and make him look like a, a chivalrous hero and she's the problem like you know things like that in order to basically just help her mate score and they're all basically it's kind of a setup a train wreck in a strange way as well but a bit more uh, she's uh, their wingman ultimate wingman yeah she's barney stinson that's who she is she's right. barney stinson <laughs> And then one day she meets at work uh, Tom Ellis, Lucifer himself, you know, from the TV Netflix series Lucifer, on which, yeah. you know, which broadcasts alongside this movie on Netflix. Um, he that he's then like the, the the most eligible bachelor in the city, and she falls for him. And she can run a play, she can land him, she can sleep with him. But she then then she decides she wants to keep him. So the the, the 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 con is on. The game is afoot to set the ultimate play. This time, not just for a one nighter, but for an all nighter. Have a listen. Who is she again? That's Nick Russell. He's New York's most eligible bachelor. He's a war reporter. And he saved an actual orphan from an actual burning building. Was it burning? Collapsing? Sinking? Maybe it's just like a bad building somewhere. Mm. What's wrong with you? I might like him. Like, like him, like him? I'm 33, and I want an adult. Want this dude? Let's get him. <laughs> Need to play, guys. What do we got? We've never played for keeps. Well, then, it's Moneyball this baby. I'm so hard for all of this right now. 
So does this have kind of comedy moments to it? Because looking at the synopsis and looking at the, the front cover of the of the movie, it looks like there's a bit of fun to be had with this as well. I know it's just straight up old school rom-com. Like it's a proper, like we made these every month in the 90s and released them in cinemas and they made like 75 mil and starred Matthew Broderick and Meg Ryan rom-com. You know, it's a proper one of those. But it just doesn't happen to be a very good one. But it is one of those. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. I quite like yeah. the premise of it, actually, now that you've told me. There's a couple of chucklesome moments in it and a couple of the supporting performances. I mean, to be honest, Tom Ellis is the most likable part of the entire movie. Everything else about this seems like, honestly, it seems like the deranged rom-com fantasy of like a 50-year-old white man. Like in a very strange way. Like it's the only thing, the only way I can describe it. Like it seems to be this kind of idealized, you know, aesthetic and everybody in it is a very specific kind of person, but a very specific iteration of that. I just like, I, I feel like a lot of this is BuzzFeed and Wikipedia reading and not actually, you know, living out in the world. There's a fair bit of that on there. Um, but Rodriguez is a likable enough rom-com sort of lead. She's not particularly sparkling. She's no J-Lo. You know, she's no Meg Ryan. She's not one of the greats. She's no Kathleen Turner, sir. I'll have you know. Is it predictable, though? Because these yes. kind of rom-coms, I was about to say, these kind of rom-coms, you're sat there going, I know what's going to happen. I, I mean, it's absolutely predictable. If you've seen the trailer, you've seen the movie. I know this because I saw the trailer and I was like, because we were going to review something else, obviously, we chose this at the last minute because it was easier. You know, it was easier than getting hold of the other movie. And But also, I, I, I made that call under duress because I was reviewing the trailer for it. And I just thought, oh, no, I don't know if I've got this in me. Like, this this seems like sludge. And at times, it comes perilously close. Like, it really, it, it wades into the thick, treacly, star, uh, th- treacly tar of, of absolute bilge quite often. But Tom Ellis is really likable in it, and he steals every moment he's in. Um, the movie makes incredibly little sense as it goes on, as far as the sort of rom-com element goes. Like you said, it was predictable. Yes, it is if you've seen the trailer, because you know you you would know based on the trailer exactly what they wheel out for the third act of this, apropos of nothing. And even then, as soon as it's introduced, you're like, okay, well now I know exactly how the rest of this is going to go. Um, but within its internal cache, there's moments to it that kind of work. You know, I, I, I do think a lot, of, a lot of the sort of banter with the mates is faintly amusing. You know, I, I kind of like that. There's uh, the one character, I'm going to have to look up the actor's name, the About a Boy Guy. About a Boy Guy is Augustus Prue. That's it. I did know that. Augustus Prue and his brother make up uh, the other two friends outside of Damon Wayans Jr. And it's, um, it, it's quite a neat brotherly back and forth, but it's, it's got a weirdness to it that I kind of appreciate. So... Wait. Well, yeah, I was going to say, with a cheesy rom-com like this, normally comes a soundtrack of some sort. Is there one? Not really. Not really oh. much of one, no. I mean, there's there's uh, an, an opera at one point. If that's, that's going to be... <laughs> there's literally an opera sequence. But, no. uh, yeah. No, no that's not, not really no, one. Really... I wouldn't... No. You normally get one big hit, don't you? Like Brian Adams, everything I do, I do it for you from Robin Hood, you know? But not, none of that in this. Uh, and hey. clearly, you know, it's on Netflix, isn't it? So they're clearly yeah. not expecting billions at the box office. No! The only reason this exists is so that when it concludes after like an hour and 45 minutes, it's mercifully short, like 105 minutes. The only reason is so that when it gets to, you know, 
one hour 41 and the credits start, they can roll up, you know, we might suggest that you watch Lucifer. Here's seven seasons of it. That's purely why this exists as a sort of marketing ad for, look, we have more content starring the Hunky Man. Which I'm not averse to. Fair play. You know, I don't begrudge Tom Ellis any of any of his hunky success. Good for him. That man's got it going on. But uh, yeah, that's that's literally what this movie is. This is not challenging in any way, shape, or form. Even fans of like Damon Wayans Jr. in uh, Happy Endings, which is a series I really enjoy. I'm a fan of him from that. And even that part of me wasn't particularly engaged by this because it's it, it's kind of a bland, flavorless sidekick role until it's not. But it just doesn't really work for him. Quite an expensive marketing tool, I would yes, say, exactly, on this yeah. front. Well, there you go. If you fancy watching this rom-com, Players is on Netflix from now. You can watch it from the comfort of your own home, which means you can switch it off if you don't like it and not be worried about it. Um, okay, still to come, The Promised Land in a moment. Next, though, we're going to look at Madam Webb. Is it Madam or Madame? I don't know. I Either think it's Madam. Thanks, Madam. We'll go with Madam. We'll see what Van thought next. Stay there. Right, well, I am ready to go if you are. So, um... Mm. Ready. Mm. Over to you. Hello and welcome back to Off Screen. Two movies left, The Promised Land in a moment, but let's talk about Madam Web. And I know that, Van, you have been quite excited to talk to me about Madam Web. My friend, there is a new spunk movie in cinemas. The Sony Pictures Universe of Marvel characters is back. That's what they called it. They named it that. They chose to call their cinematic universe Spunk. Like S P U M C, they chose to do this, and the minute they decided to do that, the minute those sentient adults made that decision, decided we are the home of Spunk now. That was the moment that I too pledged myself, for I would have to see everything they ever made, very enthusiastically. Uh, so we've had this is the Spider Manless series of Spider Man spin-offs. You know, like Venom. You know, it's like it's a Spider Man movie, but it doesn't have Spider Man in it. These are the ones that are actually made by Sony. So they're in association with Marvel, but they're not really Marvel movies, you know what I mean? They're only doing this so that they're allowed to use Tom Holland as Spider-Man. That's the whole thing. So this is one yeah. of the supporting... This centers around one of the supporting characters from... To most people, I think, from Spider-Man the Animated Series, towards the very end of 1994's Spider-Man the Animated Series, Madam Webb, who has always been depicted as sort of an elderly lady, but he's realized, naturally enough, for the screen, um, as a 30-year-old played by Dakota Johnson. Because that's a choice. Yeah, I mean, Helen Mirren would have been interesting casting, but Dakota Johnson's cool. Yeah, sure. Anyway, so in this iteration, she is Cassie Webb. Cassie Webb is a 30-year-old paramedic in New York. Um, she's, you know, she's, she's got kind of a, a detachment style. Like, she doesn't really like uh, you know, receiving gratitude from patients, she says, things like that. All of which annoys her, her bestie, her platonic bestie and uh, partner on the, on the rig, um, a paramedic named Ben. Ben Parker. That's going to come up. Uh, he's played by Adam Scott. And uh, anyway, so one day they're on they're on a job, and she has an accident. She she finds herself drowned inside a cab, like whilst rescuing a woman, and um, she survives a near death experience and finds herself with the ability to see the future, almost like Spider Sense, but a bit more prolonged. In fact, if we're being specific about it, it's the exact same power set that Nicolas Cage has in the movie Next, itself an adaptation of Philip K. Dick book. But with this ability to see the future. 
comes the realization that her mum, who died in childbirth with her, happened to be in the Peruvian Amazon researching spiders. And there's a whole big deal around. Ah. Yeah, you're starting to see it now, aren't you? You're starting to see it. And this and this series of future visions, Final Destination style, because that's how they seem to play, like Final Destination flashes, uh, show her three young women who all are destined to have Spider-Man-like powers themselves and become different characters from the Spider-Verse, being picked, uh, being hunted and picked off by this murderous assassin who happens to look like look an, like a lot like an evil version of Spider-Man. This movie, by the way, is set in 2003. All of this is going to come up after this clip. A week ago, I spent my life racing against time. I'm going to help you out today, okay? Trying to save people who were running out of it. Until one moment changed everything. Come on! Welcome back to Bullion that we're living. I don't understand what's happening. I've been having visions. I knew he was gonna die. I think I'm seeing the future. New York City is a whole new level of crazy these days. What do you want from me? I must say, I do love the fact that her surname just happens to be Webb for a that's start. The um, like, that's but- the bit you settle on. That's the of everything I just said. That's the bit. <laughs> <laughs> that's why it's, it's been playing on my mind since you started like how's she got a surname web fair enough fair enough my friend <laughs> that's, that's just not the bit i thought you'd fixate on at all um this is absolutely this is just hilariously bad but in all the most enjoyable of ways like it is it's a two-star movie like it's it's a two star movie, and most of those stars are going to like if, if the academic stars are going to like you know the pretty sterling direction of S J Clarkson, you know who's, who's been on Game of Thrones. I think was attached to the the fourth Star Trek Abrams movie at one point, but isn't now. And so it is by default the best directed of all of the spunk movies of all of these Sony pictures of uh, Sony pictures universe of Marvel characters movies. Um, yeah. So it's, it's better directed than Ruben Fleischer gave Venom. It's definitely better directed than uh, Andy Serkis gave uh, uh, Venom and Carnage. Although that was not awful. And I can't even remember. Oh, it was Daniel Espinosa. I think who did Morbius, which I never need to see again. It's the best directed one of these. It is also just flat out the best one. It's the best movie out of all of the spunk movies, out of all of the Sony Pictures Universe wow. of Marvel characters movies. It's the best spunk movie. It's better than Venom and Venom 2, and it's definitely better than Morbius. Um, I will also toss out a few more comparison points for you on a similar pitch, because this is trying to go for a bit more of a teen horror vibe. But it also has that 2003 setting, and it definitely has a 2003 tone and sensibility. It basically plays like Electra if Electra stopped every 10 minutes that they could be Final Destination and then resume. Like it's that, in a sense, but kind of with a bit of the aesthetic of like New Mutants. Um, it is absolute bilge. It's complete shash. About the point that they start introducing Ben Parker's sister-in-law, Mary, played by Emma Roberts, who's heavily pregnant, and they all have this conversation about how Ben now is going to be a cool uncle, Uncle Ben, and he's going to have all of the fun and none of the responsibility. That's a line they use, and you're just like, I, 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 this is so just 
brilliantly bad. I feel like if you'd done this intentionally, it wouldn't have been this fun. You've just accidentally done this, and it's amazing. Hats off to you. This is just, and then you've got Dakota Johnson in in the lead, who's, I think, just taking it way too seriously and and going very lean, very heavily into that. Uh, she, yeah, she's committed a bit too hard to it in a strange way, but she permanently just looks confused. Like her her character's permanent state is just to be like. I don't understand. How can insert plot point here be possible? And that's it. You get like that over and over again until the third act when it just goes. I mean, it's a spectacularly awfully written movie. It should be pointed out before I start nitpicking on on Dakota Johnson because her character gets the brunt of, of most of this. The movie is so terribly written that at one point she just drives overnight to Peru from New York City. Just drives to Peru. You know, to find out what happened to Mugs. Just drives to Peru. You know, it, 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 that's just a thing that happens. I mean, I don't know if she caught a plane, but she got in a car, she drove off shot, you know, out out the frame, and then the next sequence, she was in Peru. Okay, she drove to Peru, and she and then back. And she does all this in the space of like a day, it seems. Um, this is what Dakota Johnson is having to seriously commit her way through, and it's the only reason any of it vaguely, it vaguely lands in a sort of enjoyably bad way. You know, you know what kind of movie I'm talking about? Kind of, yeah. It, it, to, to me, it just seems very like it doesn't fit together at all. Well, no, there is also another element to it that's quite fun. But you have got Tahar Rahim as a pretty engaging enough villain. Although, it just seems to be like the Olivier okay. Martinez role from 2003, and you wonder, like, uh, have we just stopped hiring Olivier Martinez now? Are we just, like, concerned he's just going to, like, make everyone cheat on their boyfriends? Is that just, like, his shtick? Like, he's now been run out of the industry? Because that is who Tahar Rahim is basically playing here. Like, a, an immortal who's got Spider-Man powers. He's actually got like a black Spider-Man suit with, it's like the inverted colour scheme. Um, he's decent enough. You've got his sort of storyline going on. He's got like Shoshana from Girls as his guy in the chair as well in the sort of Ned uh, Ned role from, from Homecoming kind of thing. Um, and then you've got the three young girls themselves who I think is Isabella Merced is one. I need to look it up on IMDb. Isabella Merced is one of the trio. You've then got um Oh, what's her name? Hollis Woman on the Planet. Sydney Sweeney. Sydney Sweeney is oh, one okay. of the three. Yeah, Sydney Sweeney is one of the three as well. And Celeste O'Connor. It was the O'Connor. I, was, I, I had Celeste and I was just going Daphne and Celeste in my head because clearly I'm thrown back to like 2003. Um, so Celeste O'Connor, Isabella Merced, and uh, Sydney Sweeney as the sort of basically teenagers they're basically the sort of like teenage characters who she has to sort of protect in this final destination like way it's basically a spider-man final destination movie but nowhere near as good as either a spider-man movie or a final destination movie but there's some vague laughs there are times when i genuinely laughed out loud at how sort of enjoyably terrible some of it was it's predictable as toffee the third act because of how badly written it is, just makes absolutely no sense. And then the final reel, oh my god, the final reel. I was clapping like a baby seal through the through the final reel of this because it just nose dove straight into spectacular camp. There's no other way to describe it. It became the Spider-Man animated series from 1994, brought to life, regardless of context or, or reality. It was it was exactly like it, and I I, just, I was just clapping like a baby seal. I was like, what a wonderfully terrible decision to have made. I salute you. Um, and that is uh, Madam Web, the best of the Spunk movies. 
Well, there you have it. I'm still laughing at Uncle Ben because all I'll be able to think of is sweet and sour chicken and microwave rice. Yeah, but he's Adam Scott. Well, you, know, you know what that means as well? It means since Adam Scott is, is, is Uncle Ben in like 2003, right? We know what Marissa Tomei looked like in 2003 because obviously his his girlfriend who he mentions meeting like in the background one person, oh, I think I've met someone. You just that's all you get. It's not like a cameo by a de-aged Marissa Tomei or anything. But clearly she's meant to be the uh the, the homecoming. This is the Tom Holland verse. So this is like positing it as if Tom Holland is the age doesn't quite make sense. He'd still be thirteen in Civil War. But that means Uncle Ben and Aunt May were Adam Scott looking like he does now and Marissa Tomei looking at how she did in 2003, which is basically Marissa Tomei now. Now, that is the hottest couple that's ever lived. That That is, woof, isn't it? That's got to be the hottest couple that ever lived. That's why they released this on Valentine's Day. That's why Madam Web was in cinemas on Valentine's Day, because they knew they were setting fiction and canon up for the hottest couple that ever lived. I give you Adam Scott and Marissa Tomei. Boom, they did it, ladies and gentlemen. The spunk has achieved something. Well, there you go. You can go and watch it yourself if you like. Madam Web is in cinemas already, so go and enjoy it this weekend if you fancy. Uh, right, we have got one last ride. We're going to look at The Promised Land. We'll see what Van thought of that one in just a sec. Hello and welcome back to Off Screen for one last ride then. Let's look and dive straight into The Promised Land, which is out in cinemas from today. Uh, another one I know nothing about, apart from it's got that dude in from Casino Royale. That's all I know. That dude from Casino Royale. Oh, I love it. I love it. I, I, I mean... In fact, to, to, to certain ones of my friends uh, and myself, um, th- the man is to be referred to simply as Mads. You mentioned Mads, and, and you're in good company with, with with my social circle because we're all we're all mad about Mads. We love Mads Mikkelsen. I like him. Um, I agree. One of my uh, one of my very favourites of his was actually another round. One of his more recent ones, another round about the teachers who experiment with uh, constant drinking to see if you can biologically improve your life. Um, Chris Rock is now directing the English language remake. Uh, this is his latest uh, dire- uh, you know actor director team up with uh, Nikolai Arcel. Uh, it is called The Promised Land, or in its native tongue, Bastarden, which translates to, well, yes, you can you can guess. And it does mean that the B word in, um, a, in a biological way rather than a, a misbehaving way. So it is referring to his parentage in a sense. So I think this is, uh, this is based on a novel, I think, called The Captain and Anna Barbara, I believe it's called. Um, Mads, Mads, he's just going to be Mads. I'm sorry, he is just Mads. Now. Mads stars as uh, Ludwig, as Captain Ludwig Carlin, I believe his name is, who is a Danish soldier in the German army who is uh, basically afforded the opportunity to go into the Jutland Heath, you know, the, the inhospitable, you know, very bitter and, uh, and biting Jutland Heath, where nothing spoke, it's supposed to be difficult to grow anything, uh, in order to set up. A, you know, a farm and, a, and, a, and the first colony for the uh, for the, uh, the the German king. And uh, no sooner has he arrived, though, and, he, and all he asks for in exchange for this is a title of nobility and all the stature that comes with it, because it turns out that he is he is an aspiring elite. His dream is simply to enter high society for reasons that he, he's not forthcoming about. 
Um, no sooner has he arrived in the Jutland Heath, however, than Mads finds himself fallen foul of a local crime boss, the local corrupt elite, a snooty land baron lord who has ties to the king loosely, but really has no time for the king, and wants and, and has determined that all of the Heath is his and his alone, and the only way that Mads can be allowed king or no king, to establish this colony is if uh, he signs a contract that agrees to give said land baron 50% of all his earnings for future, and he just becomes effectively a serf. Which, of course, Mads has no time for. Also, it doesn't help that land baron has a really saucy fiancé-in-waiting. and She just needs the right man of nobility to sway her, uh, to sway her eye. So, yeah, all of this is subtitled, by the way. Sorry to break it to you. You were really you were in on that, weren't you? I could see. I could see you were in on that as well. I was. You just ruined it at the end then with the whole subtitle thing. Although I I am watching the uh the trailer on loop while we're chatting and the cinematography in it does look very Lord of the Rings. It almost does, doesn't it? it it's very otherworldly. It, like it does seem to take place in its own universe. There's a, yeah. a, a there's a, a use of fog, for instance, and uh, but because of the way they have to burn the, the heath to make anything grow, for instance, there's, there's some wonderful sequences of basically the fog on fire in the background and, and surrounding them and enveloping them, like how they are then trapped within this burning burning heath. Not literally, but it sort of appears like visually like they are and, and, and sort of like in, in, the, in the emotion of the moment. It's, it's, a, it's a great movie. It's really, really good. Uh, I was, I was, I mean, I was, I was taken in like minute one anyway. I, I, Mads Mikkelsen has screen presence like very, very few actors. Yeah. He is one of my favourite like working actors today is Mads. It's like Mads, Tim Roth, Paulie G. You know, Know, those are those are my boys. Like I'll throw some love out for Ron Perlman. He has terrible taste in projects, but when Ron Perlman commits, he commits. You know, um, but no, Mads brings it and then some here. Uh, the story it, it, it takes you. It's quite an epic. It is quite an epic story. There seems to be quite a scale to it, even though it's even though it is just all largely set on this this plot this farm. Even though there's like two or three sequences that take place elsewhere, like story elements that take place elsewhere. But it's largely just on this farm and dealing with everything on this farm uh, or in the woods surrounding it. And it's great. The performances are there. Directorial, it's really tight. Story had me just gripped. I, I was I was in there. Sort of had an inkling where it was going, though it didn't quite. And uh, I was really, I was brought into just this, how, just how immersive this felt. Like, I really felt like I was getting into, like, I, 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 I wish I could have watched it on an Apple Vision Pro. You know what I mean? So I could have, like, had it virtually, like, all around me, like, I could have VR'd this. Like, you, this feels like it would have been a great experience. But um, there is something like a, a grand Shakespearean sort of tragedy to it, in a sense, but it's not necessarily tragic. Um, the characters are all really fun. As well, I really like uh, Anna Barbara and Johannes. Uh, are initially start out as a married couple who are on the run from the land baron, set up and get work with Mads. And uh, say so it's a really engaging, really solid story. I'd say, <laughs> imagine somewhere between Nightingale and Field of Dreams, if you can imagine that, like really hard bit revenge horror and Kevin Costner in Field of Dreams. Imagine those as a period piece in 1755 Denmark. You know? <laughs> as you do. What a, what a yeah, combination. Yeah. Yeah. 
Go it does that. look like it has some really incredible fight scenes, though, from the trailer that's kind of whipping around at the moment. Well, sorry, I made that Nightingale comparison very, very, with, with just cause. It gets quite brutal. Yeah. It, it is, it's, it's quite a harsh, quite brutal film at times. But it's not like a, a horrifically over-the-top, end-to-end violent one. I think it is a character drama, after all, but with this sort of thriller elements between the land baron and it does go a bit whimsy kind of mission impossibly towards the end but uh, in a way that's still vaguely believable well the promised land if you want to go and see it well you can because it's out in cinemas from today so go and make your own mind up if you wish uh, now let's look ahead to next week we've got six movies to talk about next week well, I mean, we've got six choices of movies. I don't know what we're actually going to review, but I mean, I know oh, one. Okay. <laughs> one. I mean, next week we have the documentary, A Wolf Pack Called Ernesto. We've got a new one with uh, Ian McShane. Um, I've got a link for you for that, for Ian McShane for American Star, which I think is, I don't know if it's set up as kind of a sexy beast uh, type thing. Uh, there is the, um, uh, uh, oh, oh God, Jessica Chastain. I was going to call her and something for some reason. Jessica Chastain, Peter Sarsgaard, uh, drama Memory is next week as well. Um, one that we were going to do a few weeks ago, but then it got pushed back at the last minute. It got like pushed back by three weeks. Um, Out of Darkness, which is a, a sort of like savages, savage man survival tale, I think. Uh, Shoshana is next week as well, which I've just had a link through. I know very little about that. That sounds like a Disney animation animated film. <laughs> Does it just? Um, and one that I have actually seen, and Olivia Coleman turned up for our screening. We're so thrilled. Olivia Coleman. Oh, wow. Jesse, Olivia Coleman and Jesse Buckley were right in front of me the other night as we sat down to watch um, uh, Wicked Little Letters uh, based on the Poison Pen scandal um, of yesteryear. It's apparently based on true events. And Olivia Coleman kind of has to learn to swear. It's, it's, I mean, Olivia Coleman is one of history's great swearers. So yeah. the, irony, the irony is like lost on no one but that's wicked little letters which i will get to talk to you about next week loads to look forward to uh, well that is all we've got time for this week on off screen we will be back next week until then i've been adam ball i've been van connor and we shall return <laughs>